Uh, it's an honor to have you on. I must say I've enjoyed watching your life online over the last period of time. Uh, mate, firstly, how are you? Where are you? How are you spending your time these days? Uh, thanks, Duncan. Um, no, it's a pleasure being on. Um, I have listened to some of your podcasts with the other guys, uh, players and coaches that I know. So, um, yeah. So, firstly, where am I? I'm, I'm on the Gold Coast. Uh, I've just survived this uh, horrible storm we've had. I've probably finished yesterday cleaning everything up. And then I know some some houses not too far from me and Tamarin Mountains is, you know, they're still struggling pretty badly. So, you know, condolences and, and, and you know, massive um, our thoughts are with those people who's, who's still without electricity or a roof over their head. Um, yeah. So how do I spend my time? Yeah, no, I've, um, I'm obviously uh, qualified as a physio. Um, well, I did in, in the UK and I wrote my exams in Australia. So at the moment um, I'm doing physiotherapy in, uh, in the Gold Coast, um, which is always exciting. Um, and then, I also help uh, sort of mentor slash um, trying to help out Kobe Steelers in Japan uh, where Dave Rennie is, and that's that's great fun. So I'll be going over soon again, spending a, a week or two there and sort of helping out with coaching and, and advising. So that's been keeping me pretty busy at the time. And uh, hopefully later in the year, I'll be going back to lecturing, et cetera. And who knows where the coaching might lead. Well, mate, exactly. We were talking offline before before we started about maybe talking about the uncertainty in professional sport and particularly coaching, uh, especially coaching. Um, as I said, even at my level, you, you still get some uncertainty year to year and it, it slowly gets easier to deal with, but it's, you know, it's difficult for your family sometimes. And and, and I can only imagine with, with the experiences that you've had, particularly over the last year, that that it would have been challenging in some regards. Can you can you talk a little bit about how how you dealt with it? How how do you deal with the uncertainty in you know coaching and professional sport? Yeah, look, it's 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 it can be a very cutthroat um, industry, especially for the head coaches more so. Um, yeah, look, I think we obviously know that sort of uh, beginning of last year there were some changes with the Wallabies, and I, you know was was told after we had the Wallabies camp that um you know there was going to be a change in head coach of Dave Rennie for Eddie Jones, etc. So um which which came as a little bit of a shock to everybody. But then we had the opportunity to go down to Rugby Australia and I, and we all went down and we had a discussion. And I, I suppose the uncertainty is one thing, but it's also making choices. And I, you know, had a, a meeting with Eddie Jones, etc. And came away from it. We had to, you know, sort of give our reasons why why we want to carry on, et cetera, et cetera. And we had those meetings. But for me, I, I think the most difficult decision was to say, look, I don't think, you know, um, I'm going to take the journey further. Um, so I stuck with Dave and said, look, I'm, I'm going to put in my, my resignation. And that was a tough decision because everybody wants to go to a World Cup. So, and that was purely my own decision, really a uh, difficult one. And, and, and so, so you've got uncertainty and then you've got also choices to be, to be made. And my, I suppose my reasons were um, to go away, learn more, explore. So I, you know, now I've traveled, I've coached four months with Leicester in, in, in the premiership, back in the premiership where, where I was uh, always uh, situated. And then obviously now in Japan as well. So um, 
you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I've made the right choice or the wrong choice. Um, we all know the writings on the wall, what's happened, but um, I've gone out and I've, I've learned to come back uh, as a better coach. And I think that's quite important. So uh, especially why I went back to physiotherapy as well now, um, just to grow as a person and, and, and those communication skills and all it's, that's all going to help me as a, as a, um, as a coach one day. Absolutely. I, I could only imagine that that was a, a difficult time, uh, particularly with all the uncertainty. Um, but it's made it's good to hear that things have worked out positively for you. Could you talk a little bit about your background coaching? I know you started as a player coach while you were still still playing. How, how did that? How, well, yeah. How did you start your coaching career? And then, can you talk a little bit about your progressions along the way? Yeah, I think I, it was about. 2015, 16, 17, I was always mentoring young props. Um, I was considerably older than some of those those guys. I was probably between 33 and 36 when I was mentoring a lot of props. And uh, I finished playing when I was almost 39. So um, I was at Saracens at the time and I was working with, you know, well, working and helping out and helping each other out, you know, household names like Vincent Koch and Makovani Pola and, Richard Barrington, to name a few, and 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 you know, I had the pleasure to scrum against, uh, scrum against, and with guys like Scott Brits and and John Smith, and guys who's who's been there, done that. So we we learned a lot from each other, and I, I suppose that that sort of gave me a foundation of right. I know I'm pretty sure I know what I'm talking about when it comes to scrums, not just in the front row but in the middle row and the back row, and. I went to London Irish and I sort of in, in my second season there, I got more opportunity to lead the scrum and, and to take it further, but sort of a, a third through that season, I got the opportunity then to uh, go back, probably play a little bit more. Um, one of the Scottish uh, titles under Ferguson broke his leg and I went to Glasgow Warriors to, to, um, to replace him and, and to work as, you know, well to play again and then hopefully eventually start mentoring some of the forwards there yeah. and it was a, about a year later when Dave Rennie said to me you know you've done pretty well helping and mentoring and guiding do you fancy taking the scrum over in 2018 um, so which I did uh, in 2019 and then um, so eventually I played one more last game for Glasgow but then I got the opportunity then to come to Australia and work with the Wallabies. And I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I thought Australia scrum uh, have so much potential. And um, we've had some really good outcomes as well against top teams like South Africa and and and, and New Zealand, et cetera. So that, that's the journey that I, that I walked. But I, always, I was always willing to learn on the way. I don't think any coach could ever say, "Oh, yeah, he knows it all now, and he's he's completely, you know, a rounded coach who's 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 not going to take any advice from anyone else." You learn from everybody, and I think that's the main thing. So on that journey, I've I've learned a lot from other coaches, from other SNCs, from other medical staff, and I think that's really important. Where SNC medical and and coaches need to come together to um, have a more sort of harmonious and and above board. Uh, culture in a, in a team, and I think that was one of the learning curves as well. How difficult was it for you coaching guys that you were playing with at the same time? Um, yeah, I think, like I said to to many people who asked me the same question, is 
the first, the, if you're a player coach, let's say the first half of the day, you could be playing with them and running around with them and tackling them and get smashed by them. And then the second half of the day, you're a coach where you've got to be able to be confident enough to say, okay, you know, so let's say John or Paul or Tony, you weren't good enough today. You got to work on this. You got to do that. Okay, right. You on the other side, you were very good today. And, you know, keep keep doing it and come and see me for clips. And we sit down and we we, we learn uh, from each other. But it also having that confidence to put that friendship to one side and say, right now, I'm, I'm, I've got one, one foot um, in the coaching camp. Uh, before tomorrow, I'm going to be back as a player. Now, when I stop playing, that's probably a little bit easier. But still, by I think I was quite fortunate because I know a lot of coaches struggle with this where their mates, their, their best mates who they used to go out for a beer with every Saturday night, now they got to tell them what to do. So it shifts a little bit. I was pretty sort of confident that I could, you know, flip between those two uh, comfortably, but also explaining to the player exactly the reasons why. So it wasn't just making up, you know, oh, you weren't good enough because this and this. I would tell him exactly and explain to him why. So that's that's the transition period as a player coach. But then as a as a coach uh, yourself, I think um, I've learned from a lot of coaches who say, you don't have to be everybody's friend. Tell the player exactly. He'll, he'll, he might be moping around for two days. On the third day, he'll be your best mate again. So, you know, there is that balance between that mate uh, what's it like going from that to test rugby is it significant jump like how, how is it different from a coaching perspective i want to talk about scrummaging we will get to scrummaging but but from a coaching perspective how is it different from you know english premiership i would argue one of the best set piece comps in the world into the test arena um yeah it's a good question i think your high performance environments like your international rugby you like in the premiership or let's say super rugby you would have x amount of games and you can rectify things pretty quickly um we always say you know after a bad performance don't worry the sun will always come back up and seven days later you can go out there and rectify it at international level the pressure is considerably more um i was explaining to uh some of my colleagues back in england they asked me the same question i said you are a lot more exposed as an international coach so let's say for example the scrum got hosed on the weekend and we got 16 penalties against us. They're not going to always point finger at the players. They're going to point finger at me. So you got to, you got to, you got to wear that hat. You got to be able to say, look, uh, how are we going to fix it and come up with, with solutions. So you're a lot more exposed, but in, 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 in hindsight, it's, it's, a, it's so much fun because you're in a big arena. Um, there's 50 to 80,000 people um, enjoying the game and and sometimes for the, some of the you know the coaches most coaches would know this at internet national level if something comes off and you score under the post or something comes off you get three points from a scrum pen or you know that mall comes off and you drive them 10 meters and you score I mean that is the the feeling that you get is is you, you can't really um, describe that so there's a lot of pros and cons but that's why, you know, coming back to your previous question, it's, it's a lot of cutthroat as well. So training-wise, I think what you do on the training paddock during the week, you, you, you will leave no stones on turn. And you shouldn't do it at even premiership or even championship or even uh, shoot shield or hospital cup. You shouldn't leave any stones on turn. But um, 
training wise, I don't think much change. You don't train longer. You don't train harder. You don't train. You 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 will keep things pretty similar during the week, and that's going to prep you for for um for the weekend. Mate, just before we jump into the the main part of this podcast, the scrum stuff, can you touch a little bit on your time in the UK with with Dan at the Leicester Tigers? You mentioned before off air that that um, they were doing a lot of team coaching or co coaching over there, which I think would be a useful um, subject to discuss for for any of the coaches listening out here because it's I've seen it in a few environments, but again, it's not as common as as maybe it should be. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, look, I think um, look, I've worked with Dan for about three three years, and I used to go and visit him at the Brumby, so I know exactly what he was like as a head coach. And he's doing an unbelievable job at Leicester Tigers, um, as you can imagine. They've got a, a fantastic squad there, you know, the likes of Andre Pollard and and Jasper Visa and, and and big names, big English names as well. Um, so they 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 they're pretty strong in each area. But what I what I liked about it and learned from that environment, and that's probably come a little bit from the coaches who's 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 been in the Prem as well, um, is is just that aspect of co-coaching. So if if someone asks me what's the difference between the coaches in in Australia or South Africa or and and then in England, especially Leicester where I was, I reckon that co-coaching. So say for example, a defense coach is running a drill and he can't see everything. So there's 15 on 15, 30 guys on the pitch, uh, balls going left, right, and it's physical and it's messy. So you, you might have one coach who's just looking at breakdown, one coach just looking at rack defense, one coach is just looking at what is the backfield doing. So everybody's got a job in that, say, eight-minute drill. And, the, you know, you can be on the pitch. I I used to run around after props telling them where to go and, and 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 how to defend. Now they know their role, but if they were wrong, I can just quickly guide them. And I was on the pitch actually sweating to about two, three K in, in, in a session easily, just running around after players. And that was a good learning. And I saw real positives out of that. Now, not all coaches work like that because a defense coach might say, everybody else stay in your lane. I want to I want to run this this uh, session. I want to do it my way. This is how we're going to do it. If you guys see anything, feed into me maybe over the microphone, but don't get involved in what I'm coaching. Now, that's one aspect. And I, I, quite, I see the positives out of both. But what I did like is that co-coaching just makes a session go well. And, and sessions can or should sometimes not go as well so that you can fall correct for say from a Tuesday to a Thursday. But um, it does help in the earlier days, preseason that, that time, etc., to get everybody's structure right. And then you can go out and play. So co-coaching is a, is a big thing for me. Just on that. Did you find that giving guys, would you give guys feedback on the run? So you, you, you know, you miss your running line here, you miss your support line. So you can give them that immediate feedback that maybe you can't do if there's just one coach in the middle running it. Was that your experience? Oh, yes, 100%. Look, you on the run. The, the, the ball could be on the edge and you could run past a, a player and say, mate, hold your feet, hold your feet, you know, something like that. So you, you, you could literally coach on the run. You can't have a breaking coach, break coach, break coach. You won't get you, – you've got to give messages all the time. And the players at a certain level are pretty good. They will remind each other. So they coach each other as well, which is pretty good. I think, you know, coming back to – sort of and I might might have answered some of your other questions um is 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 the structure of the week so so what is what is the thought process and the philosophy behind 
some of the coaches and how they do it. Now, it might be on a Monday, you might spoon feed them a, a lot more. They would have looked at clips and you come together and you have a meeting and you have a discussion and you have sessions where you just walk through certain uh, plays and et cetera, et cetera. And then by the Tuesday, you will do that at full speed, at full contact, under duress and under fatigue. So then you that's when you can coach on the run. That's when you can have these little conversations during the break, um, monitor people's work rate, et cetera. And then come Thursday again, that's where the players will have to start leading it a little bit more themselves with coaches not sort of standing back, but fault correcting here and there and ironing out any creases. And that could be in the set piece, line out, scrum, et cetera. And then on the Friday, uh, they might have a captain's run. So that's just a walkthrough. That's led completely by captains. And then um, on the Saturday, they're out on the pitch. They've got to do that themselves. So it, it sort of starts here with a little bit, and then it just becomes a little bit less during the week. And then on the game day, we'll send those messages out again. And then they've got to do it because... It's a, another interesting topic is is the messages during game day. Oh, yeah. can I ask you a question on that? I, yeah. I used to notice you filming the huddle um, during Wallaby water breaks. Yes. What was that? What was that about? Okay. Um, pretty simple answer. Um, that is for the leaders to review during the week. So if they at a certain point, you know, look at the footage and they go, okay, you know, because let, let's say, for example, those times when we were a, a couple of points in it with, say, the All Blacks at the time, or, you know, when we played in France or Ireland or South Africa, one of the top four teams, um, what 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 the messages are and, and, and how they present it and who's listening and who's not could be the, the make or break between the game. And, that, and that's as simple as that. So um, my job was just to to film it um and then to send that on and you know cut it and then they can look at it so that the leaders because i've done it myself they used to film me doing the halftime talk uh to the to the forwards now now when we played south africa in 2021 in 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 the gold coast uh we got a penalty i mean two minutes before halftime we got another three points absolutely smashed them in the scrum um which was a good day for us. And then later, as you know, later in that game, we, we did it again and Quade Cooper stepped up and kicked. You know, so that, that game is quite memorable for certain individuals. But then I looked at my halftime talk after they've recorded, and then you start questioning yourself. You go, what am I supposed to say here so that we keep it up there? Am I going to waffle too much that guys are going to lose interest? In, in, in what the message is. Can I keep the message to maybe one, two, or maximum three points? Can the way I present it, the way am I standing, where's the eyes uh, looking, all those things make a massive, important, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's got an impact on, on, on how the players perceive, how, what mentality they're going to go back into that game in the second half, you know, and... That's how you learn. So sometimes filming stuff is 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 really important. And then you know my last point on filming is is I like to have an iPad when I coach. And let's say there's an eight v eight scrum, and my lucid is saying, or my tighthead, for example, is saying, um, I say to him, you need to get lower. He goes, no, no, I, I am low. I said, no, no, no. When you get forces from the front and back, you don't have proprioception how high you sometimes are because if two thousand newtons is going through your spine. Sometimes you feel like you're low, but you're not. 
okay, come and have a look here. 30 seconds, he quickly has a look and he goes, wow, I'm really high. Okay, then he goes, fall corrected. So you can use camera work for those purposes. I'm, mate, that, that was awesome. I, I cut you off before when you were talking about in-game messaging. You said yeah. you were, we were going to talk about that a little bit. Can you can you just touch on that? Additionally, when you're running water on, who who are you speaking to? How are you actually delivering messages? Is there an ideal way of doing it? Yeah, no, it's quite an interesting one. It, it, there's not always an ideal way of doing it. It depends on what the coach wants. Now, in certain teams that I've been at, uh, only the head coach has got a radio and he radios down to either, you know, so so everybody will hear it. So your physio, your your um your main coach on the on the pitch and your SNC coach who's who's running water. So those three guys will will hear the message. Now, who's gonna deliver it? Will the physio give a message to a leader? Um, if let's say he's attending to him, you don't want to distract the physio too much because he's got a big enough role to look at concussion and manage the players. Will SNC uh coach go to certain leaders and give that message and will the other coach whether he's a backs coach or a forwards coach go to the forwards or the back so you've got to make those decisions uh based off who 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 your personnel uh are and then you you delegate then i've i've had situations where everybody's got a radio but then you've got to be careful because you can't radio in every single time you sort of learn from each other when is your time to speak because if everybody speaks at the same time, only one person's going to get heard because uh, of the radio system. You cut each other off. So, um, and then sometimes what I felt is coaches get really excitable. So they're in the box and they would be shouting, "Tell him to get off the line quick!" And blah blah. And it, and because they shout, it's just fuzz in your ears. So you got to go. Can you repeat that? So the communication has to be really good, and you can't use long sentences. This it, it, it's 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 a learning curve that I sort of enjoyed but you got to be on your toes 24 7 mate i just uh just on that i i sent a message out this year to our team manager who was running water he had no idea of the game model no concept of the terminology that we used and we were changing a more defense strategy mid-game which the yeah. players would understand but he had no understanding and he's gone out and said the exact wrong thing <laughs> so well that's I the could... thing so so i i i give the physios five keywords and I say, I'll be using those five keywords. Now, when you hear any of those five words, let's say, for example, you know, it could be the word, I'm just making this up, could be dynamite, could be this, could be that. That's certain calls for certain scrums, certain positions. Um, then he's got to know that because he can't be running to a play and go, what did you say? We've had it in the past where the physio has gone or, or, or a coach has gone and there's just too much noise and he's and he goes i can't hear what you're saying can you repeat that the coach repeats it the ref tells everybody to get lost and get off the pitch the call wasn't given the wrong option in the lineup was made and we either concede or we didn't score so it, it's 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 so important that you have that right mate um i love that i love that hey i want to talk to you about scrum coaching Yes. Um, maybe let's start with the big picture in use Australia as an example, but maybe any country just to get an idea. How would you create a dominant scrumming culture that lasted for a long time? If you had unlimited access to everything, how would you attack it? Would you start with kids, build up through the grade into super into test level? Would you start at test level? How do you think about that? From, from your experiences being the national scrum coach, how would you begin to attack that? 
Wow, how long have it's, you got? Yeah, you know, it might be <laughs> uh, that might be another podcast. But no, no, that's fine. Um, I, I grew up in South Africa, and in, in in one thing I know in South Africa, and hence why they produce so many type five locks, props, hookers, is from the age of twelve you would be scrumming fully. Um, and it doesn't matter how bad your scrum goes. If you lose all your props, then they'll probably go to uncontested. But it's quite brutal. I remember in school, um, you would scrum even if you go back at a rate of knots, you 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 you'd stay on the pitch and you carry on. Yeah. And that's that that experience. If I say I had seventeen thousand scrums my whole life, I would probably say three or four thousand was at school level. If that makes sense. So that you know, whereas I I do a lot for the community on the Gold Coast. I go and watch um you know lightning series i go and watch um shoot shield i go and watch um school um aps games um, gps games as soon as the scrum looks like it's you know just creaking or and and i understand health is i'm not saying here it should change but then it then it's uncontested or they make a decision beforehand so you might have a 16 year old lad who's 155 kilograms because I've seen that a lot, and these opposition is 85, then they go uncontested scrums. So safety is paramount. I understand that. But um, also not getting that experience is is has has an effect. So 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 how do you solve that? Now, a lot of the players, especially in Australia, and, and majority of them in, in Europe as well, France, etc., where you might have a number eight who's unbelievably good at school and he runs through, you know, 10 people at a time. But then he he's like in his 20s or early 20s, he becomes that little bit heavier, slower, and they put him in prop. Yeah. Now he's got to start fresh. He's three, four years behind at least. So now he's got to learn. I know guys who's played number eight, converted to uh, a prop and has done really well. But where does that learning come from? How many coaches actually know how to coach those young boys and girls to convert from a back row to a prop? Um, so I would say there's a lack of props probably all across the world. Um, but how do we fix it? For, okay, so now I'm going to just go on to the next thing is, is, is the training part. And that's probably what you were alluded to as well. In, in a professional environment, you normally have players who would, see the SNC coach, they'll go into the gym, they'll do the upper body, lower body power, and they'll, they, there'll be a big block that they'll do. The next thing is they'll go outside and there will be a block of live scrum and more. And then right at the top, you'll have a block of uh, uh, games, you know, so the time spent in that game. So let's say 12 minutes is spent per game on a scrum. The, 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 the scrum session was no more than, you know, at international level, it's it's between 15 and 17 minutes and club level is probably creeping up to 20 minutes and then maybe below, sometimes they spend half an hour, 45 on scrums. We don't we didn't have that luxury at international level at all. But if you take those blocks in between, there's a missing bit. You have to fill that with extras. And I've said this many times, tight five players cannot train like backs. They will at some point, but they have to go and do extras because wingers don't have 2,000 newtons going through their spine or more. Props and, and, and second rowers and back rowers do. So you got to find half an hour to an hour maybe in that professional environment by coming in early, staying late, and working on your craft. That might be body shape, strength, 
technical stuff. Now, I normally call it tech strength. So that's your technical side and your strength. Now, if you're an SNC coach, Duncan, you're going to say to me, okay, there's your program, go and squat X amount and go and lift X amount. But some of that will not equate to what you feel in a scrum. So sometimes I, I'm a great believer, bring the scrum into the gym. Right now, we're going to go top end heavy if, 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 if time allows us, and we're going to replicate the scrum. Um, and it's not killing it. It might be four reps of a drill, two times two. It's very low, but it's at high end. Now I'm going to slowly, slowly, you know, uh, guide you. And, and, and Sorry? So slowly progress, not just go to progress, the without but, being able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then by the time those live scrums come, it's easier. It's easy because you were just working harder in the gym. Now, the technical aspect, there's tons of drills you can do for loose heads, tight heads, hookers, second rowers learning the proprioception around body movements. Um, you know, I've got a simple drill that we just roll a barbell out, but it teaches you how to how to load and how to scrum it, like say down towards the ground at like 30 degrees or 45 degrees, just so that that becomes more natural in the scrum because a second rower would be here. He thinks he's going there. The pressure comes on. He stands up because he's six foot eight. So how, where's your, where's your, 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 your strongest body position. So it's, it's looking at that tech strength area and bringing those into the club. Now, normally I, you know, look at areas of the body that you need to, um, that you need to train. And I've, I've put this on social media quite a fair, fair few times. Let's start top and bottom from the body, neck and ankles. Now I, I was in the premiership. I played, um, about 12 years on 4G and I've seen so many guys either rupture their big toe, tendon, flexor, loosus longus, you know, you get sort of list frank injuries, fractures, dislocations, horrible things. Achilles, yeah. Achilles, Achilles, yeah. I mean, don't talk about Achilles. There's a fair few um, I've seen in my life now, but you know, as training gets harder, sometimes you gotta, you gotta play catch up by doing your own work. If I just go out and do what the coach says to me in that time, I won't progress. I won't get better as a player. And that's how I feel. Uh, absolutely. Is this something you can touch on every day? I'm hoping that you say yes. Because <laughs> well, I know some of my players will listen to this. But You've got six areas of your body you need to work on. So you, you, need, you need to look at midfoot strength, ankle strength, Achilles, yeah. lower, lower body. So that's legs. Uh, core. So core, you can't get enough core. You can do core three times a week. Then upper body strength, which could be power, it could be normal strength, push, pull, whatever you want to do. Okay. Then it's neck strength. Neck strength is the most undertrained thing, undertrained body part, probably right. what I've seen all around the world. I have so many people on on, on Zoom. I've just done two two top top uh, URC uh, teams in um, in Europe. Um, who I've gone through all the neck strengthening and how to do it, how to do it safely. I've installed it at Leicester and I've seen massive improvement uh, with some of the players there. It's great to see. I've just installed it in the Japanese team, Kobe. I've just, you know, I've installed it in, in, in probably 10, 12 other teams. And I think once they start training like that, then that, that, that box is ticked. You know, neck injuries, you can't always, you know, stop someone from getting a neck injury or a concussion. But if you're at 30% instead of 100% strong, you obviously open yourself up to injury. And I've Absolutely. had a big injury, and I know all about that. So, um, And then the, your sixth 
aspect is your is your mobility flexibility. If you're as tight as you know the you know a guitar string, then how are you ever gonna get low enough and 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 sort of you, you just look at ankle uh, mobility. If your knee to wall is less than eight or seven centimeters from 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 the wall, from your big toe to the wall, then you need to work on it because you're definitely not going to get as low. So there's a knock-on effect with all those things. Mate, um, that's some really good insight that I know a lot of scrum coaches. And you, you'd be surprised how many scrum coaches will listen to this. I guess I'm probably more asking for guys at my level about mm. what we can do to prepare our guys to jump up to super, to jump up to test level, because it seems like a big jump to me for some of the guys. Yeah, look, I think... No, I, I don't know if you were at that seminar at, at uh, the golf course next to the Waratahs. We had about 60 coaches across uh, New oh, South Wales. Um, very, very good. I just gave them, let's say, everything I know about scrums on a, on a presentation. It's probably an hour long. But what I liked about certain scrum coaches is they just take it on board and they just ask the right questions and they just want to learn. Now, if the, if the willingness to learn it is there, then I reckon... And they probably do that in any ways, but unions and, and and clubs should provide those opportunities for 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 coaches to want to learn. And I did one at, at South up in Brisbane, and there was probably about forty five coaches as well, all forwards coaches. And we we ended up talking about lineouts, we talked about breakdown and all sorts of things. But to give them that opportunity to learn is 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 paramount. And I think. Um, there's enough coaches who, who's willing to take it on. I, I I think if you've got a good structure, your question before is how do I build a, a, a dominant scrum? Firstly, what I did is I give, when I was in a team, whichever team it is, I give the scrum or the forwards or the front row or I give it a name. I give it a title. Then you belong to something. Then everybody's interested. If you just talk about the scrum, they lose interest. But if you give it a name which you know they can come up with you can come up with you give it a name everybody is is part of something secondly you got to get your values that could be around you know brutality it could be around discipline it could be around willingness or or, or work ethic it could be around um you know things like honesty because i always talk about honesty in the way that if i have a scrum meeting and let's say joe blogs has, has had a tough day at the office not everybody just just to blame this poor bloke but him, for him to stand up and say, look, I didn't prepare well. I didn't do well. I should be better. I will be doing this. And other blokes saying, yes, I will help you. This is how we're going to do it. And we they have that honest chat. So come up with your values, whatever they are. And then from there on, you break it down. Now, the scrum, you know, and this is stuff that I, that I do online a lot of, is you've established those two things. You, 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 you then build your scrum, your front row your second row, your back row, how are you going to do it? There's a, lo a lot of different options, um, how you're going to set up. What are you going to do on, 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 on the bind? So I always divide the scrum into four, four key areas. Yeah. It'll be set up, it'll be bind, it'll be set or engage, and it'll be ball feed. Those are your four areas. Now, write those four out, then you write out how you want to set everything up. Now, on top of that is your calling system. On top of that is your tactical you know, a lot of coaches talk about scrumming at 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock and pincering and this, that, and the other. There's so many things we can go through which we won't have time for today. Yeah. 
but get those fundamental fundamentals right. Okay. So I call it principles. First, establish your environment, then work on your principles, break it down, um, and then come up with, with how you want the scrum to end. And I think there's so many areas that you can still work on trial and error, etc. But then that's probably 50% of it. The other 50% for me, and this is coming from a someone who's a physio, uh, you know, a background as a physio is, I can't, I can't send people to war who's not physically and mentally tr- prepared for it. I can't send people in a scrum who's, who, who's firstly not strong enough, who's technically not sound, and I just know I'm gonna, it's gonna be a kamikaze. The guy's gonna struggle because I haven't given him the right tools. Now, if he doesn't want to do it, then he can't play. But if he wants to do it, I'll help him. Then he can. Then, then there, there shouldn't be any issues, and that's how you get better. Look, I've come from an environment seven years in the championship in England. I got hosed in the scrum so many times; it's unbelievable. But there comes a time where you go, ah, I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, work a little bit harder. And then I was on the sort of giving end of that. Mate, that's that's a fantastic way to to end. I've just got a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm been so grateful for your time, mate. So I won't take up too much longer. What's your relationship with failure? And do you have any favorite failures that set you up for future success? That was a that was a real mouthful just then. But the reason that we ask is because something that we see with a lot of young coaches is there's a fear of failure. Right. And and what we've been trying to do is encourage uh, a healthy mindset around failure and actually see it as a key component of coaching rather than something that you want to try and avoid. So yeah, do you have any failures that that set you up for success, and what's your relationship with failure? Um, I wouldn't say specific failures, but what I will say is have don't have a fear of failure, and it's 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 easy just to say that. But you know, I've made wrong decisions in a, in a, in a game, and yeah. it's failed. I've 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 come in with a plan, and it's failed. So I might have said, okay, well, we're going to attack this player, that player, and you know, I I, I miss something. Um, and then they come back at us and it, and it, and it fails. You go to plan B. So the, f- the, the first half you were struggling, you were under the pump and then you got to come up with plan B. Now, sometimes the players got to realize that as well, but they don't see the scrum as well as I do on screen or, or, or live from the top. So, um, and so I've made the wrong decisions, but you know, there was times where we have a review post game and we watch the game live with the coaches and you go, Oh, the next minute is going to be tough because we've been in a scrum that we got hosed in, and I probably made the wrong call. Also, the players made the wrong call. I don't make all the calls, but you know what I mean. My yeah. plan didn't work there, and then you sit there, and all the coaches look at you. And but you, if you say to a defense coach, "You're never allowed to fail," that means is that mean your team is never going to get a try scored against? No, it's not. There's always going to be failure, and sometimes you make calls that that's going to bite you bite you in the ass so to speak but you you just have to deal with it and move on and and some of the coaches that i've been working with you know um I, when i was with dave rennie at the wallabies is being more decisive make decisions quicker and if it fails you can always apologize after so you don't you're not reckless you're not saying oh well i don't care of course you care i mean there's times where i sat there and Deep in here, I was screaming because I was just like, I failed in that small aspect. But how am I going to rectify it? So you learn on the on the go. 
And I think that that that's quite important. So, yeah, you can never learn enough. Mate, that's a that's a great answer. Do you ha- do you have any podcasts that you listen to regularly that you'd recommend, or books, or documentaries? Is there anything you'd recommend? I I, I like I've I've recently looked a lot into and and I like I say, um, Huberman Lab is pretty good, and there's there's a lot of podcasts around diet. Because if I look at all the aspects that I know a lot of, I always want to learn more around diet and 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 actually trial and you know prove to myself that certain things work. Um, you you won't believe it. I got my first pair of reading glasses today, so That's maybe awesome. I will start reading now. Uh, but I'm probably more of a podcast and more of a documentary guy. So I do like to um, look at other sports, whether it's the NBA. Uh, I've I presented once to the Wallabies around the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, about pounding the rock and how you know you you hit a rock 99 times and on the 100th time it, it it cracks and we were talking about that back when I was at Saracens and it still resonates because change comes over time and 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 to break a, a other team down comes you know it doesn't come straight away sometimes at international level as well so uh, I'd always like to upskill myself and I probably at the moment, I'm probably reading a lot more physiotherapy, anatomy type books, which will bore the hell out of all your listeners. <laughs> Mate, good stuff. Hey, uh, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give any young scrum coach? Oh, I, I would, I would say, get your get your structure right. Like I was saying, you know, give it a title, come up with your values, set the record straight from the start. Look at those four areas of the scrum. Write that out. It doesn't have to be 12 bullet points under each. Two or three will do. And then focus on those. Communicate the roles with your players. Come up with a calling system. Come up with your uh, um, uh, tactical strategy. And then, and then go and do your research. A scrum coach and an SNC coach has to merge. You should virtually be hip to hip during the day because you're dealing with the same issues, same players. Mate, fantastic. Last question. What advice would you give 18-year-old you? Get fitter. Eat better. <laughs> get a get a speed coach. <laughs> get a, I had a speed coach, actually. I had one of uh, – I had an um, uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, at Saracens as a – Darren Campbell as a speed coach. Um, he probably got me 0.2 uh, <laughs> seconds faster. But it, it helped, you know. So I loved, I love speed uh, coaching, and I love, you know, I I, I spend a lot of time with even the speed coaches at least. I just chew their ear off because I'm so interested in that. Um, I I would say, you know, this is what I would really say to 18 year olds, and I've had a few in in my clinic recently talking about scrums. Bicep curls and bench press is not going to make you a better scrummager. I I let them write out what they do in the gym. And then I compare it with what they should be doing. And they will be out of the seven or eight bullet points, they'll be doing three of them. So the other five, they won't, they would never have done neck strengthening, ankle strengthening, you know, Achilles work. They would never have done individual work or full body or power or speed or technical. Uh, and the last thing that 18 year olds don't do, they don't do core. Why not? You see all the scrums collapse? they don't do cool yeah mate that's awesome thank you so much for your time mate i really appreciate it actually we better we better actually we better give everyone your your social media handles so they know where to find you 
Hmm. Can you, um, you're on Twitter, Instagram. At Petrus Duplessis on, on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. Instagram is Petrus underscore do underscore Duplessis and under, you know, so, um, but um, hopefully you should be able to find it. Mate, I'll, I'll make sure I, uh, I share it as well. Mate, thank you so much.